0: Back uh, around World War I, there was a very famous individual by the name of Lawrence of Arabia. And at the conclusion of World War I, he had brought some of his Arabic friends back to Paris. And he was excited about showing them all the, the wonderful sights that were there. Uh, he showed them the Arc de Triomphe. He took them to the Louvre. He took them to Napoleon's tomb. They marched down the Champs-Élysées, and yet none of this really uh, fascinated them. Uh, It didn't get the excitement that uh, Lawrence was hoping out of them. The one thing that impressed these Arabs so much was in the hotels, in the bathrooms, were the faucets. Faucets on the sinks, faucets on the tubs. They would spend a lot of time, when they were in there, turning the dials and watching the water come out, you know, and watching it come and come and come and come and come, and then they turn it off and just fascinated with this. So after their several days there in Paris, it's time for them to return and go back to their homes in Arabia, Lawrence was looking everywhere for them, and he couldn't find them. He finally ran back up to the hotel room, and there they were They were in the bathroom, and they had some tools that they had scrounged around and discovered, and they were trying to take these faucets off. He said, what in the world are you guys doing? He's like, we need to take these faucets back. You see, it's very dry in Arabia, and if we have these faucets, we will have all the water that we will ever need. Well, of course, Lawrence had some explaining to do, uh, mostly in the fact that the effectiveness of these faucets really lies in what they were connected to. He said, you know, there are massive reservoirs of water that uh, lie behind miles and miles of pipe. He says, and even before you get to those reservoirs, beyond that, there are the, the high-altitude Alp Mountains with its snow caps, and then it's melting snows that come down through the different streams and tributaries into those reservoirs. He says, these faucets would really be of absolutely no use were it not for the water source. Well, you know, a person who is not connected to Christ is kind of like a faucet that's not tapped into the reservoir. Those Arabs would have been sorely disappointed when they got back and just screwed them to a blank wall and then turned the dial and nothing happens. But in fact, I, think, I fear that there are many people who name the name of Christ, profess their Christianity, but have no source within them. Uh, as long as you don't try to turn them on, you might not ever know that they're not truly connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. I remind ourselves of what we read this morning in verse 5 of John 15 where he says, apart from me, you can do how much? Very little? Yeah, he says nothing. Can't do anything. Now, obviously, we do things, but he's talking about of anything, of any consequence that would get the Father's honor. Uh, We might even do some of the very same activities that someone else might be doing, and that individual might be actually receiving the, Uh, the favor of the father because they're doing it as they're abiding in christ where someone else is doing essentially externally the exact same activity but doing it carnally in the flesh the emphasis i think of jesus illustration here from agriculture is to emphasize the importance of the vine to the branches there's two things talked about here there's vine and branches but We have to walk away and understand that the vine is integral for the branches to be anything. As long as the branch is fully connected to the main vine, life is sustained and will be flourishing. And so really what we're talking about here is, as believers, the importance of continuing in Christ. He uses the word abiding, but perhaps when we read that word, we're like, well, what does he mean by abiding in we abide in a home, you know, we come to church, we abide here for a period of time. But the term abiding has the idea of more of a steadfast continuity to it. An, uh, an importance that you say, I want to I stay connected. I don't want to just kind of check in and check out. It's, it's an ongoing fellowship, it's a relationship. And as long as the branch is fully connected to that main vine, that branch is going to be sustained. That, that branch is going to flourish. We've seen it in our yards, right? There's a high wind. I used to have some birch trees in my front yard, and they were notorious for, in winds, just breaking off the, some of the branches and dropping them down. And, you know, there might be some green leaves on there for a period of time, you know, if, and that would not be uncommon. But if I just left that branch laying there on the ground, it wouldn't be long before those leaves would brown and fall off. And then eventually the, the branch loses all of the sap and all of the uh, stored up energy that it has in it. And it would be brittle and die. It has no life in it. But as long as that branch stays in the tree and it doesn't become diseased, it really is integrated in a proper way, it's going to flourish. And so you and I have to remain in Christ, and as we do, he will sustain us. Now, by saying remaining in him, I'm not saying you've got to keep yourself saved, because we know that's the work of who? That's the work of the Father. You know, when we get saved, uh, he eternally puts us in Christ's hand, and in Christ's hand, in the Father's hand, and he says, no man can pluck you out of those hands. And if he says no man, I'm pretty sure I'm a man, so I can't pluck myself out of that. So, in in that sense, we have a great joy that our salvation is a work, a divine work, a sovereign work of God that we receive. It's his grace, it's not our merit. And we understand that. And just like there, so when he does that, when he does the saving. It would intimate that there is a weakness on the part of deity to suggest that we could stop being saved once we're truly saved. You say, well, it certainly looks like there's people out there that are saved and then stop being saved. When I would suggest to you what Jesus said, there are those that were among us, but they went out from us. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us great emphasis on little prepositional words in those verses but the the importance is for us to understand is you know you can be with someone but not of them i don't know about you but sometimes i have found some of my most comfortable clothes in a resale shop or a thrift store or something like that and you can outfit your wardrobe pretty cheap sometimes and uh, you know, there's name brand T-shirts, for instance, that are out there, and I I've found some of those and thinking, wow, this is a really good quality shirt. And I look at it, and uh, it might have some company's insignia on it, right? And I'm like, hmm, you know, okay, it'll be a good paint shirt, be a good yard shirt, you know. Sometimes I'm looking I'm like, hmm, I don't know this what this company is about. Maybe I don't want to represent them, right? Several years back, there's a brother in Christ that I knew. He's with the Lord now. Uh, s- such a heart for the Lord. But he loved uh, going and getting good shirts like that from the thrift store. And one day he showed up to a men's gathering we had. And I, uh, some of us looked at it. And, and all I had was just this careful stitching. And uh, we were trying to figure out how to let him know that, uh, though he was obviously innocent about this, He was walking around advertising a Gentleman's Club. (laughs) Never saw him wear that shirt again. (laughs) But it was a beautiful shirt. I mean, it really was. The point is, just because you put on the shirt doesn't mean you really belong to the organization, right? The same thing. There's a lot of people that can tuck a Bible under their arm. They can sing the hymns. They can quote the Bible verses. They might have the shirt so to speak but they're really not part of the organization of jesus christ the body of christ so if we're going to remain we need to make sure we remain there's an onus there's a responsibility here on us it 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 is left to, to some degree to our free will in this regard and he's saying you need to do this It's not like a take it or leave it. This is what you should be doing. You should be abiding. It's commanded here. But the fact that it's commanded suggests that there's the possibility that we might not be living this way. We might choose the wrong path. And so Jesus wants to sustain us. The Father wants to sustain us spiritually in our daily lives. But will we choose to remain in Jesus Christ? That's our concern. So, what does being spiritually sustained need? Well, let's talk about this. Number one, being spiritually sustained demands a correct connection. The emphasis of Christ's opening statement here in John 15 is that you not be distracted by counterfeits. In other words, there are other things that is being suggested without saying it, that you might be connected to. And he's saying, make sure you are actually connected into the true vine because that suggests that there are false vines out there. And and you're going to be, by the way, you're going to connect your affections to something. You're going to connect your loyalty to something. Maybe several things. But we need to make sure that our Our connection, our spirit, our heart is connected to Christ. What is the greatest command? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind. And that's what we're talking about here. It's a connection of love. And so that's why we're also warned, and for instance, 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And he goes on to describe it there. Our flesh gravitates to be attached to worldly things. It's attractive. It's interesting. Uh, It is the flash in the pan satisfaction. And it's easy to love the world. It takes great wisdom and humility to really love God as we should. Paul warned about those who came preaching to the believers in the town of Corinth, to the church that was there, because some did not preach accurately. He says, now, there might be some people that are getting up and saying, I want to preach to you a message today about Jesus. But Paul says, you know, there are some that will come, and they're really preaching another Jesus. Now, they might be identifying him as Jesus of Nazareth, but as they begin to proclaim through their message, their own ideology, their own approach to life based upon what they're saying about Jesus, you find out, that doesn't sound like my Lord. That doesn't sound like the Lord that is described and laid out in Scripture. So, in 2 Corinthians 11.4, he says, be aware of those that preach another Jesus. It must be the same biblical Jesus and not just the same historical Jesus. You know, let's take an analogy like getting a family portrait made. I noticed on social media, you know, a lot of families got together this week, you know, and so what a great time to, you know, take the picture. That was was old-fashioned, wasn't it? Okay. The phone. Hey, but they still make the shutter sound if you want them to, right? So you take the family portrait, you know, And uh, used to be, you know, in the olden days when it had film cameras and stuff like that, you know, and you got it back from Rite Aid or the Kodak, you know, developer or whatever. I mean, there was no question that accurately depicted what had happened there that day. But today, you know, pictures can't be as trustworthy. They're digital. You can run them through your computer. You can do some editing with software that almost anybody can do these days. I mean, you could add someone into that family picture that wasn't even there. I don't remember Uncle Joe being there for Thanksgiving, you know. We understand that. And so that same mentality, though we we like to adjust things and remember them a little bit brighter, a little bit better than they were, sometimes people like to say, you know what, let me do a little touch-up on Jesus. And so people are beginning through their... Cultural authorities and ways, things that they're saying, well, this is important. So I'm going to go to my Bible and I'm going to reinterpret Christ in a way that supports and upholds my ideology. We've got to be careful that we always go back to bi- the Bible and always go back to the Scripture and saying, taking the whole Council of Scripture. How does Jesus present himself? That can be done on the liberal side of things where people are preaching another Jesus. It can be done on what we would say the more conservative side of things and coming back with more of a legalistic approach to things and saying, "Why, well, you know, Jesus wouldn't be happy with this, you know. And I'm thinking, hmm, do we really know that Jesus wouldn't be happy with that? You know, or would Jesus not be happy with someone saying Jesus wouldn't be happy with that? You understand what I'm saying? So there really has to be some humility as we come to the scriptures and say, I've got to come back here because this is the only way I really know Jesus. Right? It was even brought out in our Sunday school class today by Brother Mike, going back to where Jesus is on the road of Emmaus, it says, in beginning at Moses and in all the prophets, He expounded all things concerning himself. Jesus himself used the word of God to express himself. What a great pattern for us. You know, it's great for us to sit around and share what Jesus means to us. But, hey, let's keep anchoring ourselves in chapter and verse of what Jesus said about himself. How God reveals to us his son. Many people are looking for, if I could put it this way, vitality in their life meaning in life i mean you want your life to be good that's that's why some religious speakers out there are ravenously successful when they talk about your best life okay and then they can attach some some scriptural significance to these sorts of things because we do want a good life we want a meaningful life and in and of itself that's not a bad thing but if we connect ourselves to the wrong source, then we will not actually have the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ in our life. So is your Christ one that must repeatedly be offered in some sort of sacrifice, some, some sort of uh, ritualistic sacrifice, an accept, access through his mother? Then are you really connecting to Christ as John 15 says? Or are you coming up with some sort of man's version of connecting to Christ? I think we know the answer to that. Is your Christ such that once you profess faith in Him, He does not care that you live in sin, unrighteousness, and that you're not connecting as John 15 says? And I think we know the answer to that. You know, He's called us to a life of sanctification and honoring Him in that way. Be holy as I am holy. But if your Christ bids you to come by faith alone in his finished work and to be a new creature, then we understand that this is the idea of the sustaining life that we can have in him. This idea of the important connection. I was reminded back probably seven or eight years ago, well, probably longer than that, probably ten years ago, my wife had walked out into our laundry room, and she could hear something that sounded like sizzling going on. Well, we don't have anything like a hot plate or anything out there like that, so immediately you hear sizzling your concern. She comes and gets me, and we're standing out there, and I'm listening and, you know, walking around trying to say, where is it coming from? Well, to my horror, it was coming from my electrical panel, okay? I'm not an electrician, but I can tell you this. Sizzling from the electrical panel is not a good thing. At the time, God had placed a wonderful deacon in our church by the name of Gene Hickman, who was a retired electrician, got on the phone for the gene, you know. He came right over, and uh, he's like, yep, pastor, that's a problem. And he uh, pulled the cover of it off, and short order, he found that there was a breaker in there that was attached but not connected, you know, if you know anything about breakers, you know, they kind of go in one way and catch a little hook, and then you push it in, and it, you want it to really go in hard, because it's going to make that connection to the breaker bar in the very center, and someone had put breakers in it before we had bought the house that weren't the right breakers for that panel, and so it wasn't getting that nice connection. You know what? We want to make sure that we are truly engrafted into Christ, right? A lot of people want to make kind of say, well, I'll touch around Christ, I'll I'll kind of show up to church, I'll I'll enjoy the, the Christian culture. But you know, that never ends well. There ends up being some resentment, resentments and disappointments and exasperations and ultimately bitterness. And that's when people go away because they're not truly grafted in as a believer in the first place. I find some believers that don't attach themselves in their hearts as a disciple of Jesus Christ. They, they may be in the book of life, but the life of Christ is not being allowed to flow into them. And they equally may fall into resentment and bitterness and there's that that. that Dangerous sizzling that's going on. Oh, friend, we need to be correctly connected if we're going to be spiritually sustained by the Lord. Also, we find out that we need to be spiritually, being spiritually sustained means it demands careful cutting. Now, we don't do that cutting. This is a divine work of God. We know that in verses 2 and 3. Because it's already described in verse 1 that the husbandman is who? It's the father. So we would say he's the gardener. The gardener holds the shears. And so in verses 2 and 3, we get his plan. We get his schedule of pruning that goes on. There is a careful cutting. It's not indiscriminate. Uh, if If you've ever watched any HGTV things there is right and wrong ways to do pruning you know you pay attention to where the buds are and stuff like that and you know your your plants may survive but if you really want them to flourish you you can learn some things about really intelligent pruning that needs to go on and so notice that the phrase every branch is repeated twice in verse two It's every branch that bears fruit and every branch that doesn't bring forth fruit. So I'm pretty sure, based on my calculations, that that doesn't leave any room for any other kind of branches, right? You have the branches that have fruit, and you have the branches that don't have fruit. There's no other kind of branches. You're going to fall into one of those two categories. So that also tells me everything gets cut. Everything gets pruned. There is cutting on everything. But the approach and the reason that God does the cutting is different. For instance, he cuts out branches that are unfruitful. These are taking away. These are the dead branches that are removed because why? They can become diseased. And when they become diseased, they can be, uh, you know, unprofitable to the other fruitful branches. We used to have. And Again, I only know my own home plants to speak from, and I'm not an expert gardener, okay? So forgive me if I speak out of, uh, of correctness here at some point, and you that are really gardeners, you can come help me out a little bit later. But we used to have some oleander bushes. You see them a lot down here, and, and they're really pretty when they're healthy. They're really pretty when they're healthy, but... I noticed that often, you know, if I just left them alone and did nothing to them, that come spring and summer, they would get spotted and diseased and so forth like that. And so even though there had been nothing wrong with these same branches on these bushes the year before, I learned that if I came back in the the late fall and early winter and did a really hard cutting on these things, That when springtime came along, I mean, we would have lush uh, green leaf filled and beautiful uh, pink and purple and white flowers come out on these bushes. But if I neglected that and just said, you know, I'm just going to let it ride. It was a bad season the next year. They they were not very attractive to look at. You see, so it is for a Christian you might be wondering, why is the Lord allowing me to go through suffering? Is He picking on me? No, He's cutting on you. Why is it these hardships happen in my life? Correction, they're not just happening. They are sovereignly intended in your life. Your Father has planned it all. Look at it as an act of love. He wants you to be able to really mirror the grace of Him through your life. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his workmanship, workmanship created in Christ. We're not just saved by grace alone, as Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, for our own benefits. And we often forget that very next verse, that we're created for his workmanship. You know, you walk into a showroom and, and, you, and you look at some sort of crafts, whether it's pottery or woodworking, and you ooh and all ah over at that, and you're thinking, wow, who is the craftsman who did this, right? I'd like to meet this individual. That's how it ought to be when people can counter you and I, that the grace of God, the Spirit of God flowing out of us, that we're that sweet savor of Christ among everyone so that people are saying, "Wow, who is it that's behind making you the person that you are? You are a workmanship. And so don't resent the cutting in daily life experience. This is when we if I can pair back to last week's message, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You can say, "Lord, this is an opportunity when the hardships come and i can say thank you because you're making me a better resemblance of jesus christ conforming me to the image of your son making me, me your workmanship so that i can be a testimony among those around me i can be an encouragement to other believers who may yet have to go through something similar so there is the cutting out of branches that don't belong but there's the cutting on the purging and also in my front yard I have monkey grass as a border and in a very similar way I noticed that uh, if I just left it alone it didn't look so good but if I took my weed whipper and just knocked it right down to the ground I just didn't leave one blade sticking up it's all stubs Again, in the springtime, it would come back and it would be wonderfully lush and create a new border. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.17 tells us that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, you're like, well, preacher, I'm not sure what I have in my life is light affliction. If it's in this lifetime, it is light affliction. Now, there's varying degrees of light affliction, but if we can compare it to the hardships of a sinner in the way of a transgressor who is hard and who has nothing to look forward to but eternal punishment in the lake of fire, okay, thank you. Anything that I'm going to face in this life is light affliction in comparison. And that light affliction that we go through is but for a moment, a moment in divine parameters, right? You know, one day is what the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And so, if our whole life is filled with affliction, God's saying, you need to realize that that's momentary in relationship to the eternal span of time in heaven when you come to be with me. And as you're going through it, notice the working that's going on. It worketh for us. It's on your side. It benefits you if you understand its intent and its purpose and it brings out a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The cutting results in a clean plant, if you would put it that way. So you have the the unfruitful branches, and then you have the fruitful branches. Everything gets cut. Some gets cut out. It doesn't belong. Some gets cut on. The branch stays, but it becomes healthier because of the pruning. Thirdly, we need to know that being spiritually sustained demands cultivating Christ-likeness. That's really what it's all about. It comes back to the relationship we have with Jesus. And so, you know, there's nothing more important for me, no better compliment, than for someone to say, you know, I see Jesus in you. It, it, you know, Paul said, be followers of me even as I am also of Christ. Shouldn't that be all of our daily goals? I'm following Christ because whether I like it or not, and I really should like it, people are following me to some degree. I don't want to lead them astray. So my job becomes, or my focus or concern means, God, make me more like your dear son. Make me more conformed to the image of your dear son. So when those first two things are true, being correctly connected and being yielded to that uh, cutting, that careful cutting, we will, we will cultivate Christ-likeness. We don't have to get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to try to be Christ-like today. No, stay connected in the Word and in fellowship and in prayer and in your heart and love attached to Christ. Be yielded to the circumstantial and providential cutting that goes on in your life saying, you know, Lord, thank you for how you're using this in my life. And then guess what? As an automatic byproduct, Christ-likeness will begin to push forward. You know, you don't walk out and see your pear tree in the front yard going, trying to push pears out, right? You give it the water, you give it the sunlight, you do the pruning, and as God the Creator made it, as this wonderful creation that it is, out comes the fruit. Give it all the right factors. The fruit will come out. It's true with a believer. A branch that is correctly connected and being carefully cut will be cultivating Christ likeness. Philippians 1 11 tells us about the need for us to be bringing glory and praise to God. It says it this way. Being filled or we might say that word filled consumed and therefore controlled by. We, we sometimes hear the word filled and we think of it in a liquid sense with a container and go, you know, up it goes. It's either halfway filled or all the way full, so it's to the top. But let's don't think of it that way. Let's think of it more if we said, I'm looking forward to the day when the legislature will be filled with conservatives. You know? Now, Yes, there's a certain majority of bodies that are sitting there, but why do you want that? It's because then the authority transfers to that mindset, to that approach. Well, you know what? We need to be filled with the fruits of, the, of righteousness. We want that to be happening in our life, which are by Jesus Christ. So he's doing it. So how do we get it then? Correctly connected. Yielded to the careful cutting that's going on. And when this is happening, there's glory and praise going on to God. Glory and praise is going on. So how do I glorify God? It all goes back to staying correctly connected. Yielded to the uh, careful cutting of the Lord. And then out it comes. For instance, in Galatians 5, we have one of our adult classes that are going through this passage of Scripture in great detail, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, 16, it talks about, you know, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, walk is synonymous with daily lifestyle. So my daily lifestyle, when I'm going about doing my normal routines, I need to be filled with the Spirit, meaning I need to be controlled, yielded to the Spirit. So I'm getting up. I'm headed to my office. Beautiful day, Father. You know, thank you for another day that you have made. Reminds me your mercies are new every day. Help me to just be very plugged in to what your Spirit has guided me to do today. Help me not to give in to the inclinations of my flesh where my time is looked at as something that belongs to me but it's a stewardship and so if you choose to throw something unexpected my way as a ministry opportunity help me to look at it as a divine appointment help me to be willing to reach out to someone that might be a little difficult to love but help me to love them through Jesus Christ now I'm just giving you a for instance but hopefully you can hear in the tone of that hypothetical prayer of what was going on there. It's saying, you know, I want my daily routines. Not just did my devotions, read my Bible, had my prayer time. Now I go do my stuff. No. It's all spirit stuff, if we can put it that way, right? We're walking in the spirit. There shouldn't be a moment in the day. I don't care if you're losing at Monopoly at family night. Okay? I don't care if you're you're in a rush to get somewhere important and you're five cars back behind a school bus that still has seven stops to go and they're only dropping one kid at a time. There's never an exclusion to when we should be walking in the spirit, folks. You see, there is disciple making that actually results when we're engaged in this the right way. It's not just a matter of saying, you know come to anchor I keep hearing about making disciples making disciples you know if you're so connected with Christ and you're yielded to the careful cutting and the fruit of the spirit is pushing out in your life guess what (laughs) you're not going to have any problem looking around and saying I've got to share this with other people this is so great I mean I am so wrong for holding this all to myself my neighbors need this I can't wait to just talk with them about what the Lord is doing in my life that's why Proverbs eleven thirty 30 says the fruit of the righteous is like a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. What's the idea here? Are there people around you that are plucking off that fruit in a sense and saying, wow, I, w- I want to be that kind of tree. Well, let me tell you about my Lord. You've got to be grafted into him. You've got to be connected into him. You share the gospel. First John 2 6 tells us about jesus example he that saith he abideth in him ought also to walk even as he walked so this is great i go through my bible and my quiet time and say lord help me just to really analyze the walk of jesus as the god man because this is right jesus is god 100 percent god but he also through the incarnation when he became a baby in bethlehem became 100% man, yet without sin. And he walked. And we can read the Gospels, and we can learn about Jesus, the Son of Man, right? And so I can learn how I need to walk as I see how Jesus walked. How did Jesus handle this in his humanity? How did he respond? What were his emotions like? And I could say, you know what? I need to apply that to my life. That's what 1 John 2, 6 is talking about. An abiding believer will have the ear of God. It says in verse 7 of John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's that reciprocal abiding, just like a branch that's been grafted in properly. He goes this, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Some people think, is this like the genie in the bottle but no limitation of three gifts and the answer is no in that depiction because we typically see someone you know viciously rubbing that lamp and asking for very fleshly selfish things right you know i want infinite wishes you know so i can keep coming back the truth of the matter is if we delight ourselves also on the lord he will give us the desires of our heart he will implant in us He will change our wanter is the idea. If we are abiding in Christ, we're carefully connected, we're yielded to the the cutting process, then guess what? That nature, that heart of ours will pray the right way. We will will ask in a Father-honoring way. A person desperately dependent on God will struggle for everything that is good in the Christian life. I, I want this. I, Lord, bless. We'll pray this way. Lord, bless my family through this time of adversity. May we not just be talking about the hardships of it, but we, may we talk about your goodness through it. And Lord, we're praying for Sister So-and-So at church, and she's just riddled with cancer. And Lord, I know it's your ability to heal her, and if, if that's your will... If that brings glory to your name, then lift that disease from her as you often have done for your children. But if this is a illustration of you just wanting your grace to be sufficient so that your strength may be perfect, made perfect in weakness. Lord, may sister so-and-so see that and may this be a, a great time of learning for all of us about your goodness in hardships. You see, salvation is more than just a future home in heaven, isn't it? And, and so we've got to be really careful as Christians who are saved and have the truth that, yes, we need to warn them, yes, you're a sinner, and the penalty for your sin is hell. But Jesus changed that, making a way through him and leading people to believe that the only great benefit It's just that future home in heaven. No, you get to enter into a walk with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You get to be connected to the Heavenly Father through the great high priest. You get to have the Holy Spirit set up housekeeping in your home and guide you into all truth and be your comforter. Now! Now! I read this recently. I want you to really put on your thinking caps and... Try to determine whether you think that this is a good biblical statement here. Our heart, reason, history, and the work of Christ convince us that without him, we cannot achieve our goal, that without him, we are doomed by God, and only Christ can save us. Good statement or bad statement? Everybody's hesitant. You know, you're thinking, Pastor, you're trying to trick us, right? I'll help you. It's a great statement. Theologically, it's very sound. Now, these were deep thoughts that were written down by just a 17-year-old boy back in the 1800s. It revealed a spiritual wisdom that few people attain in their life. He was baptized into the church in the year 1824 at the age of six. He was confirmed at the age of 16. So, in other words, he had, for better or for worse than some of what was going on in the church at that time, He had a a lot of biblical and religious upbringing. When he came to his high school graduation, he was required to write an essay on some religious subject. What did he choose? Here was the title of it The Union of Believers with Christ According to St. John's Gospel An Exposition of Its Basic Essence, Its Absolute Necessity, and Its Consequences. All right, that was the title, right? Pretty good. And so here's part of what he wrote in this. The fruit of our union with Christ, he continued, is our willingness to sacrifice ourselves for our fellow man. The joy with the Epicureans, and they were the ones that eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we might die, you know. The joy with which the Epicureans in their superficial philosophy sought in vain is a joy known only to the innocent heart united with Christ, and through Christ to God good words great words I mean for a 17 you know this is like seminary level stuff today you know being able to write like this you think who is this 17 year old boy he grew up to be known more as the infamous Karl Marx one of the founders of communism and by 1844 nine years later He abandoned any Christian devotion he may once have felt. Say, what happens here? He had it all straight in his head intellectually, but clearly it didn't gravitate to his heart. You know, if we were to talk about astronauts out in space and they leave the confines of their capsule. You always see them either with some sort of pack or a long umbilical cord, right? That's their lifeline and the oxygen. You know, it would be horrific if there was a severing of that line, that lifeline. Folks, may I say to you that people who are not, first of all, connected to Christ, being justified freely by his grace and being brought into the fold, first of all, which obviously someone like Karl Marx never was, are in jeopardy of eternal displacement from God, which is a horrific thought. But folks, it doesn't just stop there because there are those that are sheep and they are the children of God. And yet, clearly as Jesus is describing here, we need to be reminded and exhorted as his his children that it doesn't stop there. Be a disciple of me. Don't allow yourself to drift in your loyalty and affection for me. Don't trade it for what the world has to offer. This is normal Christianity. This is the blessings of life in Christ. And so with everything that's out there that's designed to confuse us and to derail us and to detour us, let's keep coming back to the fact that it's all about Jesus. And let's find our connection in Him through the preciousness of His Word. Father in Heaven, thank You for the truth that Jesus so wonderfully unveils to us through this great analogy of the vine and the branches. Lord, I pray that today, that if there are any today that are not in the fold, They've never been secured by the good shepherd. They've never allowed themselves to be apprehended by Christ as the shepherd who comes after the sheep. Lord, I pray that today would be that day that they respond to the divine working of the Father drawing to the Son. Lord, may this be the day of salvation. May they yield and by faith receive the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, for the believer who is floundering with a sense of being pulled back and forth in frustration, being part of the fold, but, but not settled, uh, not truly enjoying the joy, the peace. Lord, I pray that you would awaken in the hearts and minds of these dear brothers and sisters in Christ the importance of adhering, of abiding, of connecting, and then to respond correctly in a humble way to the careful cutting of Christ in our lives through divine appointments, through circumstances that helped us to be greater image bearers of Him. And Lord, that we would just rejoice humbly in the Christ-likeness that you generate in us by that divine work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.